Welcome to this week's Manor House message. We are grateful you are listening with us today. It is our prayer that you will receive a fresh word from God and find encouragement for every season of your journey. Let's listen to this message from Pastor Walter. Well, good morning. It's raining. Portland is back. And by the, by the look of first service, uh, I've been up a long time. I might be a little more awake than you are today because the rain, how many feel just a little sleepier with the rain? I mean, it's, how many are glad you got to turn off your sprinkler systems? Come on, God is watering our lawns for us once again. And here we are, and uh, it's so good to see everybody this morning. I'm always aware that we have not only our Rocky Butte campus together, we've got our online campus together. We're always together. But think about this. Last week, I was in Eugene. Pastor Mark's in Eugene today. We, we've got campuses in Vancouver, in downtown, 217. We've got English-speaking campuses. We've got Burmese-speaking campuses. We've got Spanish-speaking campuses. I think we ought to put our hands together. Thank God that we get to be part of a church that doesn't just look like us and doesn't just live where we live. We really get this pretty cool opportunity to be a part of the kingdom of God in all these different locations. And, and before we go much further today, I wanna to take a moment and just update you with a little family information. How many like inside information? Well, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we, we shared the heart of what God has been speaking to our leadership team in making some adjustments with our team. How many were here and heard that? Or how many got a video from me and saw that, okay? Well, I know that not everybody does, but we, we shared this thought that we are a family and churches are not organizations. We're people connecting with people with Jesus at the center. We have a greater desire to see us have greater influence and ability for our, not only our team, but our church to reach into our community. How many think that there's still a lot of people God wants to reach in Portland and Vancouver and all that? We also know that we are, are a large family, and yet to begin to come at the table at a whole nother level and build a relationship, has already been said by Dylan, is something that's so important. Because when you know somebody cares, you know you have a relationship, and even when you come on a Sunday, isn't it a little bit different when you know somebody? But it goes so much deeper than that. Who do you begin to take off the mask with and build that relationship? And that's what groups are all about for us, as well as just a sense of community and discipleship. How many are done growing in Jesus? Let me see your hands. Yeah, how many know that there's more for us to grow in? And while we have relationship with God, he puts us in, in with other people to really go deeper with him. And really recognizing that how we have had our staff position was limiting some of those areas. We, we made some decisions to make some changes. And so probably the first one that we were just communicating here is that Robin and I are not, we're gonna step out of our role as, as the Rocky Butte campus pastors. And uh, we're gonna step into a new role with Pastor Mark where, where we're just helping him oversee all of the campuses and all the campus pastors and a, a new team that we have called Central to really help resource and support all the campus staff everywhere they're at. And, and so we're stepping out of that role, though the good news is we're not leaving. This is our home campus. So if you were praying we would leave, God did not answer your prayers. <laughs> Dylan was praying that. No. We have such a great relationship. And Dylan and Kirsten, our youth pastors, are stepping into that role. And I got to tell you, I was so amazed at not only the response, but the feedback I continually get from just everybody that we so see. Listen, we're not a church about an older generation. We're a church of every generation. And to see us move into the future, we've got to bring the next generation and let them lead at levels that we are currently leading at. Come on, because God's church is not going to end and Manor House is not done yet. And so we're stepping Dylan and Kirsten into that role, which means we, we need a new youth pastor to stand in that role here at, 
at Rocky Butte. And so today I'm ready to tell you who that is. How many wanna know? How many don't care? Okay. We have really, I mean, we honestly had some amazing people that, that said that we would be willing and we're, we're wanting to see if this is a place for us with God. And uh, we actually found that a couple named Brian and Mackenzie Holmes um, are gonna step into that role. And, and again, to be honest, I'm so thankful for the pipeline that God has for us. There was two or three or four couples that could have stepped into that role. But Brian and Mackenzie, Brian, I, I heard, was the first baby, first baby dedicated when we moved into this building. That's how long he's been around. Um, if you ever changed his diapers, don't tell me, but I'm just curious. Anybody, you know, having children's ministry? But they're stepping into that role. Uh, they've been at 217 for the last couple years as the youth pastors there, but they have also served in Rocky Butte with Dylan and Kirsten for a long time before that. So it's really a hand and glove kind of fit. Now I wanna just explain a little bit of timing. Uh, you know, one of the things we can do as church leaders is we can move things forward so fast that we actually forget that it's people involved as we chance for a youth pastor from one campus to another. We don't really have a time frame because we need to find Rock, uh, 217 a youth pastor. And we care about those kids, those youth, that are on that campus to make sure that we find the right youth pastors, that they have time to train with Brian and Mackenzie, and that we make a smooth transition, which means then they'll come here and they'll transition with, with Dylan and Kirsten, and then eventually we'll transition with Dylan and Kirsten. So if you hear my heart, I wanna give you a peek into what God is doing, what he's saying, as you begin to see some of these transitions, but they might take three, four, 12, 100 months, I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully not, hopefully within a few months. We've made these transitions. How many would say, I see God in all this, and I'm gonna pray that God's grace would cover this season as we make these transitions. It's all about reaching more people, making stronger disciples, and building a greater sense of community. That's the heart behind it all. Well, we're in a series called Above All Else, and we're talking about the presence of God, and we really recognize that within our church, there's two values that we hold so deeply and, and so dearly to our hearts, and one is the Word of God, his truth, and the other is his presence. And we've even met, uh, switched up this service today to give us a little bit of time to go to God's word and, and really understand what the pathway to God's presence is that we would, as a people, as a church and as individuals, we would, we would know what it means to actually worship God because last week, Pastor Mark, he told us some things that worship was and kind of broke down what worship isn't by itself. Worship is not just singing and music on its own. Worship is so much more than that. Worship is actually who we are and what we put first in our lives and you will actually determine the course of your life by what you worship or by who you worship. Right. And as we stopped and, and, and thought about the definition Pastor Mark gave us last week, it was this. Worshiping God is recognizing who he is. It's realizing what he has done and it's putting him above all else. Well, that sounds really good. How many think that's a great thing to do? Now, how many find that challenging at times? But there's a place that we're discovering is more than just knowing about God, it's actually experiencing the manifest felt presence of God. And today I wanna to talk to you about the pathway that brings us into his presence. And I want you to turn to Exodus chapter three today. You see, we're gonna find out that again, God's purpose for worship has always been to be amongst his people. 
Last week, Pastor Mark said that God even asked the, the children of Israel to build a tabernacle, and it wasn't just so he could have a fantastic building for everybody to look at. It was for his presence to dwell in and that they would know that he was always amongst them. Are you not amazed that the creator of the whole universe wants a relationship with you? And not in just some tangible God out there kind of a way, that he actually does more than just live in your life. He actually wants to be in every part of your life. And in Exodus chapter 3, we begin to see God's heart to be amongst his people with Moses. Moses in Exodus chapter 3 was an Israelite who was born at the wrong time. The Pharaoh was trying to kill all the Egyptian, or excuse me, all the Israelite boys. But through a circumstance and a series of events, Moses is actually saved and he grows up in Pharaoh's own household, in his daughter's household. He grows up in the royal family. But in his essence and trying to to actually save the Israelites, he kills an Egyptian in the process and through his misguided deeds, he runs away and spends decades actually now tending his father-in-law's sheep out in the desert. And as we come to Exodus 3, we find Moses in that place of tending his father's sheep on a mountain called Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. And it's here that God appears to Moses in the most unusual way. There's a bush that's on fire, but the bush is not consumed and God begins to speak to him. And in this, in this scripture, we begin to see the pathway to God's presence. And he says, Moses, I am going to send you to Pharaoh, for you must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, and he said, now God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh, and who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God simply answered, notice this in five words, I'll be with you. But he says, and this is the sign that I am the one, Moses, who has sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will notice the words, worship God at this mountain. And we see right from the very beginning, in this conversation, Moses is actually dealing with his insecurities, his identity issues. And how many of us feel that way when God begins to speak to us about an area he wants us to step into? We know we're inadequate and uncalled for it. But God doesn't actually deal with that. He just simply says, Moses, I want you to know I'm with you. But instead of actually going any deeper in that conversation, he simply gives him a directive. It almost seems unsympathetic or uncaring by God, but God actually knows what the children of Israel are going to need more than anything on their journey is to never forget who their God is and to put him in the first place of worship. As we even stop and think about this, this journey, you realize that in this beginning conversation, God is going to deliver them, but he's not talking about their deliverance through the, through the sea. He actually knows their destination, but in the beginning, he's not even dealing with the promised land of their destination. What he's saying, in essence, is Moses, what the children of Israel are going to need, what this nation that I'm going to bring to myself need more than anything on their life journey is to know that I am God and that I am with them and that they can trust me. And he comes to us the same way today and says the very same thing. And what we're going to discover today is that the pathway to God's presence is always worship. The pathway to God's presence is always worship. And when we think about Israel's escape from Egypt, I know I tend to, first of all, actually think about their journey through the Red Sea. We think about this amazing ocean before them and, and a million to two million people behind and an enemy chasing them, and here they are, they're stuck, and God spreads the sea open, and they walk in on dry path. It was that, the... It was a plan that nobody else saw that God had to free them from their Egyptian slavery. Actually, the New Testament tells us that 
Their journey into that sea and back out is often referred to as us identifying with Christ's death, burial, but come on, how many are thankful for resurrection? That we identify that Christ actually took us out of our Egypt. He freed us from our slavery, our bondage. He put our past behind us and he brings us into a place of freedom and that's exactly what God did with the children of Israel. He brought them out of a place of slavery and he brought them back out into a place of freedom. But here's the question. If you read the Israel's history, how many times did they go back to idolatry, which always led to enslavement? And even as we just finished a whole series on freedom, maybe it begs us to ask the question, why do we struggle sometimes to stay in a place of freedom? It always comes back to what we worship will determine our enslavement or our level of freedom. And today as we look at this, why is worship so important? Why is worship so important? Why? Because it determines the course of your life. Because who sits in the control of your life will determine the pathway in which you take. Will it be the Egyptians or will it be the Lord God Almighty? And I know in this service like this, I could get us all shouting Jehovah Jireh, God provider. But when we get out on Monday and Tuesday, everything kind of changes. It's not a worship in this room that's going to make all the difference. It's a worship out there that's going to determine what you live day in and day out. And there's a place for both. And you see, I think the pathway to freedom was not so much an open sea as it was an awaiting mountain to learn how to worship the presence of God. And I think what God was saying to Moses is your freedom will ultimately be fulfilled as you continually and constantly put me first above all else and worship me. And it's easy to worship a God when you understand that he loves you and cares for you, but it's a whole lot harder if you come through the tree of knowledge and you only see God as an angry God. And Moses, he's going to go on to begin to understand the heart of this aspect with worship. Um, God is going to ask Moses to go before Pharaoh. And in Exodus 3.18, he actually is telling him, he's telling him what he wants him to do. And if you stop and look at the words in this, you begin to realize that God is beginning to put worship at the heart of everything. He's actually going to go to Pharaoh and say, his, God's people are going to come worship him. And Pharaoh has a problem with this. Verse 18, and you and all the elders, you shall go to the king of Egypt and you're gonna say, I love this, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, not the God of the Egyptians, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. He's, he's becoming personal to us. He's, we're beginning to know him and now let us go three days of a journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. It's something interesting. You can never separate sacrifice from worship. Because whatever you worship requires you to let go of something in order to give them control of your life. And you'll never find an instance of worship where you didn't have to let go and sacrifice something in order to put something else above your whole life. Pharaoh got this. He knew they weren't asking for a three-day leadership retreat. He knew they weren't looking for a Labor Day holiday for the nation just to relax from all their labor. What he knew was is that they were saying, Pharaoh, we're no longer gonna give you control of our lives. We're gonna surrender to the God of the Hebrews, the God that we're coming to know. And by the way, we will no longer submit to you. Pharaoh said no because he knew he was losing control. But here's the amazing thing about serving God. God never takes control. He actually comes to liberate you from your past to cause you to walk in a place of freedom. How many times do we misread the heart of God? And worship was at the very core of their whole beginning journey. But not only was it to be at the beginning, as you begin to read the rest of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you begin to see the worship was actually 
a part of every portion of their life. We've already talked about the tabernacle where God said, I want you to build me a building. I want you to build me a tent where my presence can come and I can dwell amongst you. And I love where God placed the tabernacle as you have 12 different tribes, 12 different families, so to speak, that make up this million to two million people, every time they would travel, they would all be three on the east, three on the west, three on the north, and three on the south of the tabernacle. Why? Because God always wanted them to know, I'm not a God out there. I'm not a God up here. I'm a God that's right in your midst, and I'm with you all the time. I see what's happening. I know what's going on, and I'm involved in your life. And there's some people that need to hear that today from the Holy Spirit, that God has not forgotten you. We also see the, the animal sacrifices. I mean, how many are glad we don't have animal sacrifices any longer? Can you imagine dragging in a heifer this morning because you blew it on Friday night? There's Larry. We know what he did on Friday night. <laughs> Two turtle jobs. Oops, that was a bad one. We don't have sacrifices anymore. I'm thankful for that. But I'll tell you what, it reminded them that God was holy. And it reminded them that they were to bring their best and they're first. You know what you know you worship? It's what you put first and give your best towards in your life. There was the Sabbath, which was a, a calendar that was actually built on an every week worship day. There, they recognized they were created in God's image and God rested on the seventh day. And they began to learn how to rest and trust him that when they didn't even provide their own food on the seventh day, God would provide for them. It tells me that worship actually affects our calendar. And the Shekinah glory. There's a, there's a description of the glory of God that is tangible, kind of seen, and yet we can never see God. It says the day they dedicated that tabernacle, his presence, it came and it, it filled that place. For 40 years, he came and he shaded them in the daytime and protected them. And he came as a tower of fire in the nighttime. And for 40 years, every day and every night, the Israelites knew that God was with them. Do you know God's with you today? You see, when you know he's with you, it begins to help you understand there's a relationship here. It's not religion. And you begin to understand that my whole world was created to worship God. You begin to think differently and you process life differently. And what God really wanted was he wanted every single Israelite to be a worshiper of God. Maybe you've read in the, Old Testament where the, the tribe of Levites were the, were the priests that came and they, they, did the, they had their priestly duties, if I could say it that way, and they came before the tabernacle and they offered the sacrifices and they were the ones who worshiped. But you know God's heart was different than just one tribe? We, we see it in Exodus chapter three, or excuse me, we see it in Exodus 19 when, when God says, you yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians. How I bore you on eagle's wings, he says. And I brought you to myself. He's saying, I'm, I, this is personal for me. I'm, I'm your God. And what we need to know is they're now standing on Mount Sinai for the first time. He says, and if you'll indeed obey my voice and keep my covenants, you'll be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and, and you'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God's intent was for every person in the nation of Israel to be a priest that made up a holy nation. What happened? On that very same mountain, they began to forget who they were worshiping. And when Moses goes on the top of the mountain for 40 days, they wonder where he's gone and they create a golden calf. And their declaration is this, this is the God who freed us from the Egyptians. Moses comes down 
He says, who's gonna serve the Lord? And only the tribe of Levites stepped forward and said, we will put God first. You see, when we begin to forget who we worship, we begin to walk down the wrong path. You know what it always does? It always takes us back to our Egypt. It always takes us back to those old ways, that old enslavements. And I believe that we can even be a believer and still keep our toes in Egypt. And it's only worship that continues to give us a clear paradigm of where our life is going. And even as we look at the Israelites today, Paul said this. He said, I want you to look at the nation of Israel, for these things happened to them as examples for us. And they were written down a long time ago to warn us who live in the end of the age. And so my question to us today is what do we learn from them and how do we be true worshipers in the New Testament? We're no longer with the old covenant. We're in a covenant of grace. We're in a, a season where Jesus came as the spotless lamb. And he gave his life for us and he was the perfect sacrifice. There's no longer a priesthood that goes before us and makes offerings. But what does it mean to be a New Testament believer? What does it mean to be a worshiper? Because God is still seeking worshipers. Jesus has a conversation with a woman in Samaria by a well. And in Luke chapter, uh, I believe it's Luke chapter four, the conversation goes pretty funny for a while. But then she finally asks him about worship. And Jesus dials it right in on something that is so crucial for us to understand as, as New Testament believers, what worship entails. He says, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it no longer matters whether you worship the Father on this mountain or that mountain. It doesn't matter if it's Jerusalem or Samaria. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while the Jews, we know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time's coming, and I can kind of just see him wink at her. The time's coming, in fact, it's, it's sitting right here in front of you right now. When true worshipers, they'll worship the Father, notice this, in spirit and in truth. And even notice the order. He brings the spirit before the truth. For the Father's looking for those that'll do what? Who will worship him that way, for he is a spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. You see, Jesus' days were often filled with people, religious leaders who knew the truth about God, but there was no relationship with God. He was dealing with religious leaders or people that were, that were devout Jews who followed the, every letter of the law and yet there was not an openness in their spirit because what it requires is to, to really worship God is to have a relationship with him. And Paul even said it this way. He said, if anybody's got bragging rights as a Jew, it's me. I'm out of the nation of Israel. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the seventh day or the eighth day. I, I, I actually know the law in such a way that I held the law in high standard all the time to the place I would persecute anybody who didn't hold to the law. But he says, I have to tell you, I count it all as garbage and compared to knowing Christ. You see, what it means to worship him in spirit and truth is it means that when we come to Christ, our spirit comes alive and we begin to commune with Christ. You see, it's not just enough to know about God. We need to, God wants us to know him. He wants us to be intimately involved with the divine. He wants to let you know that he's not only in your world, but he's in your every moment. And when Jesus said that he, the Father wants us to come and worship in spirit and truth, why was it so important? Because God knows, or Jesus knew, that everything flows out of the presence of God in our lives. What you fill your spirit with will determine the course in which you take. We talk a lot about the first 15 minutes around here. It's kind of become a, a saying for us. And all it represents 
is giving the first part of your day, the first 15 minutes of your day to Jesus, to God, to time alone with him. People sometimes, you know, as a pastor, whenever you ask somebody, how's your relationship with God? This is always the answer you'll give me. Could be better. I know that, but you know what? What I care more about is, do you know him and does he know you? Well, I need to read my Bible. I need to pray these certain minutes. You know what it matters? You know what really matters? Is yes, you've got his word because it's speaking to you. You're, you're praying because you're speaking to him. You've, maybe you've got some music on. But what he cares more than anything is that you're having communion together. How many of you did you go to a restaurant and you've already got it figured out? We're gonna talk for five minutes. I'm gonna listen for seven minutes. We're gonna put on some music for 12 minutes. And then we're gonna be done. We don't do that in relationships. Relationship is all about knowing each other in intimacy. And that's what it means to come and worship God in spirit and in truth. Do we need God's truth? Absolutely. But isn't it interesting that Jesus used spirit before he used truth? Because in the life of Jesus, you always saw him come in grace and in a spirit of, of relationship before he brought the truth and kind of hit him between the eyes. And God wants to do that with you too. He wants you to know that he has a relationship and desires a relationship with you. Just like with the children of Israel, though, if we're a true worshiper, we see the worship as the point of our life, not just a part of our life. Worship is not just a piece of our life. It should be permeated in everything in our life. You know, I'm afraid that too many times, if we're not careful, our our sacred and our secular become separate from each other. Is your life different on a Monday through Saturday basis than it is when we come to church on a Sunday? And God actually cares about every part of it. When we begin to fracture ourselves in living two different ways, we are actually never complete as people and we struggle to have a complete relationship with God because we tend to do what Adam and Eve did when they fell and that is we tend to hide in our shame instead of coming to God in freedom. And as we begin to surrender our whole life in worship, worship becomes something, it becomes who we are, not something we do. That's why worship isn't confined just to a, a service in a weekend. It's actually something that is continually going on in our life. And as a New Testament believer, again, we don't bring sacrifices any longer of animals and, and fruits and vegetables. But what we do bring, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, is there's two sacrifices that I see that we bring to God. Because worship always involves a sacrifice. And the first sacrifice is ourselves. Paul said it this way in Romans 12:1. Therefore, I'm gonna urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, not in his anger, not out of his judgment, but in view of his mercy, I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is your true and proper worship. See, God doesn't come to control you, but he does come and ask you to surrender everything to him. The difference with any other person in our life is God can be trusted to be pure and holy, righteous and just. He'll only love you. When he changes you, it's for the better, not because he's got an agenda. As we come to him and can imagine being in the Old Testament as they laid that animal on, a, on an altar, and that animal gave its life. 
Scripture says it could never, it could never fully cleanse the spirit of a person. It was a ritualistic form to remind them of God's holiness. I'm so thankful Jesus came and he died once because he was the perfect, sinless lamb of God. And we have that kind of relationship that now we come to a God that we present ourselves in our broken moments and in our good moments. We find that we can come right into his throne room of grace, finding mercy and grace when we need it the most. But if you don't know how good God is, you struggle with that. And today, I believe the Lord's asking us as manna house, would we be a people of, that would come and give ourselves completely to him as a living sacrifice? And then there's the last sacrifice that the New Testament talks about, the sacrifice of praise. And there's an aspect of our worship that God asks us to begin to let what's going on on in the inside become declarative, begins to show, we begin to see it. It's that place where we begin to, like in a service or in your home or in your car, we begin to let the, the words of God and the thankfulness that we have begin to come out. The writer of Hebrews said this, through Jesus, let us therefore continually, not only Sundays, not just when I feel like it, but continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of my lips that profess his goodness. I remember the first time I walked into a church when I was in early high school, that actually people lifted their hands and seemed like they enjoyed worship more than endured worship. I remember growing up in a church that oftentimes it seems as I look back, they loved God, but it was fairly ritualistic and, and just what they did. And sometimes we become so matter of form, we forget the relationship. I remember coming in where they lifted their hands, which I had never seen. I was sure they weren't asking questions, but I knew that something was going on. And I'll never forget over the next couple years beginning to understand that there was a relationship. I think about David, I think about the Psalms, and you begin to realize the scriptures. He said that at his sanctuary, I'm gonna offer sacrifices. How is he gonna do it? With shouts of joy, singing, praising the Lord with music. There's an expression that we do as we come together. Sometimes it's truly a sacrifice because I don't always feel like praising God. But as I begin to make that choice, it's amazing that when I leave, oftentimes I feel very different than when I came in. And the Bible talks about lifting our hands. It talks about shouting and clapping and dancing. And I remember thinking that if you had a drum set on the platform, you might be going to hell. But I look in the scriptures, and there's a lot of drums and clanging cymbals and loud, mu loud music going on in, in the Psalms. And this is where it comes down to the point of there's a part of worship that the Bible uses in the Hebrew. There's about six different definitions. We have one. And oftentimes it's tied to declarations and music to declare the goodness of God. It's not something we let stay inside. It's something that we begin to lift up on the outside. And I'm gonna ask you to get to your feet right now. We're gonna go back into worship. Before we go deep into worship, we're gonna take communion together today because we're gonna remember and worship God by remembering, come on, who he is, what he's done, and we're gonna put him first again in our lives. And I'm gonna ask the service house to come get ready and I want you just to kind of put your neighbor aside for a little bit right now. I want you to just begin to 
to thank the Lord for who he is and what he's done. I want you just to kind of begin to kind of close in with the Lord for a moment. Let the Holy Spirit even use this time to refresh you, to speak to you, to guide you. Thank you for listening to another Mana House message. Our hope is that you find fresh bread for your journey each time you join us here. Until next time.